All right, Genesis chapter 1. If you've got your Bibles open up there. If you don't have a Bible, get one off of the back bookshelf. And uh, they're always there. They're free to take. By the way, if you have a friend who needs a Bible, grab one, take it, give it to them. But we're going to be in Genesis 1 and a few other places this morning to try to understand something that is not easy to understand. Actually, it seems very easy to understand on the surface, but then when you start to dig in and ask, what does this really mean? That's where the commentators are all over the map. And there's a lot of weird ideas and strange things, and we want a biblical understanding. So make sure you have a Bible open and you follow along. Genesis 1, verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. And let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them. God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And Lord, we just pray that you will bring your word to us with clarity and understanding and revelation, Father, because my sense is there is a big message here. Not my message, Lord, but the word of your spirit to our hearts. And I pray this will be encouraging and uplifting. And I pray, Father, that we would come to embrace how we were made. In Jesus' name, amen. I turned 55 in a week. Feel free to send cards and condolences. Makes me think of something that uh, Jerry Seinfeld recently said. He said, all dads dress in the style of the last good year of their lives. Yeah, I sent that to my brother and he said, yeah, that my last good year was when I was 17. <laughs> In the 1990s, you may remember some of you, a tennis pro by the name of Andre Agassi, quite famous at the time, and he coined a phrase that became transcendent. It was actually just for a, a, a camera commercial, a, a Canon Rebel camera and the commercial had Agassi out there doing his thing and swinging his racket, and he had that, that bushy mullet of hair. I don't know if you remember, it was kind of spiked on top and long in the back. That was a cool style. I'd wear it now if I could. <laughs> but he, he coined this phrase that literally captured culture like a photo in time. It was back in 1990. And he did his tennis stuff, and the camera zooms in on Agassi, and he looks at the camera and shakes the mane of hair and says, Image is everything. Image is everything. Andre Agassi wore a wig to hide his baldness. That hair that he was so famous for was a wig glued to his head. I kid you not. Look at pictures of him today. He's his natural self. Shiny. Image. Image. How do you see yourself? You know, I mentioned getting a year older, and it's just interesting for those of us who are aging, which I think is pretty much all of us. 
But as you look in the mirror, the older you get, the more you see the aging. You know, there was a time in my life I didn't see it. You just grew older. But now it's like every day it's a little more than it was the day before. And you do find yourself trying to reach back to those days where you have a certain image, a certain look, and you realize, wow, at some point we all just give up. You know, I'm not going to name any of you who already have. But every one of us, whether we choose to admit it or not, have some sense of image. Well, how do you see yourself? When you look in the mirror, and I'm not just talking physically. How do you see yourself at heart? What do you think of it? This is a tough question for some. Some who are arrogant and brash would go, I'm cool. I'm all that. And there are others who would say, I don't want to think about myself. Because I don't like what I see. I'm uncomfortable with the failures. I'm falling short in so many things. In fact, I sit in church and look around and I see other people who are so more spiritual than I am. And I think, why are you asking us how we see ourselves this morning? It's an important question. What's your image? Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 32 says, Ask now concerning the former days which were before you. Since the day God created man on the earth and inquire from one end of the heavens to the other. And I'll tell you what, if you have an image problem of any kind, the place to go is back to the beginning. Let's find out, talk about, understand where we came from to understand our image. Now, Genesis 1 and 2 is profound, beautiful, remarkable to me. I read through it and I've been reading through it over and over. Many of you have as well over the last few weeks, preparing to to restart our study through the scriptures. And this is a remarkable book. These two chapters are unique in all historical exposition and literature when it comes to the origin of the earth. Nothing compares to Genesis 1 and 2. No other origin story bears such a mark, an obvious mark of divine authenticity. You read Genesis 1 and 2, and there is a sense of God here, a sense of the divine, so much more than just a cursory reading might even give you. And I'm not talking about the eloquence of the Genesis record. I'm not talking about the accuracy of the creation account. Oh, it's eloquent and it is amazingly accurate, even scientifically. But I'm not even talking about the distinct signature of God that we see in all creation around us. I'm talking about what God did by creating us. No other origin narrative has a greater legitimacy of intimacy than this one right here. The creation of Adam by Elohim. Look at verse 26 again. Then God said, let us make man in our image. I hope you like a good salad. Because we're about to dig into some fresh lettuce. Let us make man in our own image. And this needs no dressing. <laughs> so far in the story, so far in the, in the reading, in the account, God has been using a third person command. Throughout day one, day two, day three, as he goes through the days, he continues to say, let there be. Or simply be. Like, let there be light is technically be light or light be. This third person command where he's causing it to happen, but suddenly he turns here in verse 26 to first person counsel when he says, let us make 
Arnold Frutenbaum in his commentary said, that change shows what is about to be described is indeed a momentous event. We've turned a corner. Something big is happening. Let us make, let us make, this is God inspiring God to do something very special. Let us make. It's not Queen Victoria's royal we. Let us bless you. They call that the pluralis majesticus. And sadly, sadly, a lot of people come to Genesis and that's what they do. They say, well, it's just the royal kind of sense of a plurality. It's not that God was plural. Let us make, he says. This is not that. This is the divine us of Elohim, as we talked about last week, the triune God. Elohim must be at least three. At least three with referring to God. Back in Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. We know the Spirit was there. We know the Father was there. We know Jesus Christ Himself was there in the creation. All things were created through Him and by Him. And nothing was created without Him. Elohim. We talked about Wednesday night that let us cannot refer to angels. For one thing, we were not created in the image of angels. And for another thing, angels were not consulted in the creation. Oh, they were present, but they weren't consulted. Isaiah chapter 40, and you ought to read this on your own. We looked at it Wednesday, verses 12 through 14, talking about the creation account. And it comes down to verse 14 and says, With whom did he consult? And who gave him understanding? And the implication of the question is, none but God. God alone consulted with God. And while God says, let us make man in our image, in the very next verse, Moses says, verse 27, God created man in his own image. Singularly. So it's let us in his. The us must be his, must be his own, of him alone. And that's consistent throughout the Bible. It's not just a New Testament idea. It's not just a a Christian concept of a triune God. Throughout Scripture, we have evidences and we see pictures of God conferring, communicating, consulting together with Himself. Just God with God. We'll see it in Genesis chapter 11. When all the nations, when they're not nations, all the people gather together at Babel. And begin to build a tower to their own ingenuity and strength and marvel and glory. And God says, come, let us go down there and confuse their language so they will not understand one another's speech. Genesis eleven seven. let us. And then Psalm 110, verse 1, the Lord said to my Lord, both God. Yahweh says to Donai. And then Isaiah 48, 16. I love this one. Check this out. Come near to me. Listen to this. From the first, I have not spoken in secret. And from the time it took place, I was there. Who's talking? The Lord. Lord. You're saying Jesus. Well, that's out of Isaiah. That's a little bold of you. You're right. Because the very next line says, And now the Lord God sent me and His Spirit. Jesus. Father, Spirit, all there, Isaiah 48, 16, in the Hebrew Scriptures. 
And Jesus said in John 14, 23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our abode with him. It's again, we, our, my father and I together. And how does he do that? By his spirit. And Paul picks up on this, 2 Corinthians 13, verse 14. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And it's throughout the Scriptures, and that's just a sample. I've just given you a little taste there with those five verses. But there are far more throughout Genesis to Revelation that reveals God as triune. God is three in one. God as us. Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Now, this is a bit lost in translation, but the Hebrew of verse 26 is simply Adam. Man. Let us make man in our image. Man, generically. And then in verse 27, it's a little more specific When he says, God created man in his image, man there is actually Ha'adam, the man. Let us make man in our image. And he created the man in his image. The man specifically. So it's him, the man, and it's them, man, mankind. So if I say man in the generic, ladies, don't be offended. It's just an overall, God did it. Let us make Adam. Mankind, humanity. I'm sorry that the word man is in there. No, I'm not. It just is. It is what it is. You know, we apologize for too much as followers of Jesus. It is what it is. It's not there to offend or upset anyone. It it just is what it is. It's a precise explanation. Of identity, perhaps the most basic clarification that we were not created to be binary or bisexual beings. We were created, as he says in verse 27, male and female. For God created the man in his image, in the image of God he created him, male and female, he created them. Genesis 1.27 is the definitive answer to the gender identity issues troubling our society. One verse. And it answers the whole thing. That we were created... Listen, get this, don't miss it. We were created male and female in the image of God. Male and female. Simply, that's it. In the image of God. Why would we want to be any less? What a remarkable, marvelous, amazing thing. Have you thanked Him lately for creating you in His image? Isn't that incredible? Breathtaking? I have been made in the image of God as a man, as a male. You ladies, as females, male and female, in His image. And yet, according to 2019 social norms... And this is the way this culture is now looking at it. Sex is biological. Gender is social. That is the understanding. The BBC has released its TEACH curriculum. TEACH. They're very excited about this new program that they're sending out to all the UK primary and secondary schools. And the program tells children that there are over 100 gender identities. 
Telegraph columnist Celia Walden has written a scathing review of the program, which she calls noxious nonsense that poisons children's minds, a product of the modern, quote, emperor's new clothes gender diversity narrative. She says BBC is indulging in the propagation of misinformation, thereby betraying its journalistic duty to deal not in fads, but in facts. By willfully warping their minds, she continues, BBC is contributing to making a new generation of children, quote, as self-obsessed as the supposed grown-ups are. Now, I'm just quoting her. Wow. Social networking app Tumblr currently lists 112 gender identities, and that's up from 81 last year which is up from 63, which is up from 48, which ultimately is up from two, male and female. Anything beyond this is beyond God's word. Just understand that. Wherever you fall, whatever you think you know, whatever you assume, whatever's going on in in families, and many families, if not all families, are being touched by this one way or another. Gender identity confusion and making gender a social thing rather than a biological thing. Please listen. As a Christian, this does not make me defensive. But it does make me sad. It doesn't make me condemnatory. It makes me concerned that there is an entire culture or cultures in this world that are so confused and so lost. Why? Because they are denying our true image and rejecting our actual likeness. Which is so marvelous. It's so wonderful. I am created in the image of God. How can it be any better? There is no higher form. There is no greater one that I could be patterned after, and yet I am patterned after Him. Male and female, we are patterned after Him. Psalm 139.14 says, I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. When was the last time you thanked God for your gender? And I'm talking male or female. When was the last time that you thanked God for making you in His image? It hit me this morning. I don't think I ever have. I've thanked Him for a lot of stuff. But I don't think I ever paused long enough in my life to say, Lord, Lord, thank You for making me like You. Again, and we just sit on that thought. That is overwhelming. It's marvelous. You know what? I'm not made in the image of other human beings. That's great, because there are some weird ones out there. Have you been down to the Department of Motor Vehicles lately? It's a leper colony down there. No, I'm not made in the image of other people. Whereas in our world, that's the highest of the high place, right? Mankind, humanity, or whatever we are. And I'm not made in the image of animals. I'm made in the image of God. I'm just trying to wrap my brain around that one. I want us to consider three profound implications this morning. Because this cultural identity crisis that we see taking place all around us is trading fearfully and wonderfully made 
for formless and void. It's like the world is rushing back to tohu va bohu, formless and void, Genesis 1 verse 2. The chaos, the mess that was made of the beauty that God created, that he had to deal with and then truly create beauty back where it was supposed to be. If you read back through the chapter. Well, three profound implications of the creation of Adam. Of being created in the image of God. Number one is the image of God. Number two, the likeness of God. And number three, the dominion of man. And we're going to consider all three of those this morning. So first think about this with me. The image of God. Then God said, let us make man in our image. Verse 26. Verse 27. And God created man in his own image. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. Let us make man in our image. But Salme knew is the Hebrew word. And Salme knew means specifically a representation of deity. Now that same phrase is even used of idols. For people would try to make representations of what they considered to be their deity. So if they bowed down to, the, to a, an idol, a, a golden calf, then their deity is a cow. If they bow down to a silver horse, their deity is a horse. And so this Salome knew is, what's your deity? What image are you cast? That is life or speaks of or looks to your deity. But in the case of our divine father, in the case of the Holy Spirit, of Jesus himself, we are cast in that image. Our deity being God. We are then representatives, representations. Now, there's a lot of guesswork as to what this really means. Let us make man in our image. I'm created in the image of God. What does that mean? I don't know. And a lot of people wonder. Some of the commentaries I read literally were laugh out loud. Stuff people come up with. Here's one. Check this out. Quote, the outward image of God includes these aspects. That man can have a continuous directive gaze upward. Okay. That man has a capacity for facial expressions. That man has a sense of shame and can blush. Someone's reaching here. And and people try to figure this out and and try to cast it in what they think image is. I mean, looking up with funky expressions while blushing and blabbering is not in the image of God. And yet that's what we hear and people are just so unsure of the idea. And, And I'm talking about good, solid Bible scholars. And you know, it hit me. The problem is, when we hear that we are created in the image of God, and we try to think what that might mean, we can come up with all kinds of weird, esoteric stuff. So how do we know what it means? We go to the Scripture. We stick to the Word of God. The most obvious explanation of being made in the image of God is that we are uniquely different than all other creations. All other creatures. No other creature is made in the image of God. So we are distinct. We're in a different level. We're on a different playing field than the animals. Like our Creator, we are reasoning. We are intellectual. We're sentient. And we're even willful beings. That is, we have a will. 
Sometimes that's not a good thing. But we can think and act on that as our Father can think and act. And we're moral beings. Now, understand this. Morality really came into play later on. As Adam and Eve came to understand the knowledge of good and evil. However, even at the first, they weren't boneheads. You know, Adam and Eve weren't just wandering around, just kind of like, oh, I didn't really know anything. No, they still were man. They could reason. They could respond intellectually. They could feel emotionally. How do we know that? Because they were in relationship with each other and with God. Remember, the Lord is walking. We'll see this soon. Walking in the cool of the day, in the garden, looking for Adam. Why? I assume because that's what they did. Because there was relationship there. You think God would have a relationship with an empty-headed fool? No, Adam was capable of relationship. Eve was capable of feelings and emotion and intellect. And they could choose. They could choose. Ecclesiastes chapter 7 verse 29 says, Behold, I have found only this, that God made men upright, but that they have sought out many devices. So, innocent, at the outset, created in his image with at least the capacity for moral proclivity to choose what to do or to choose to do what was right and they also could choose to do what was wrong. And some Latin phrases actually might help us out here. (laughs) I don't normally go to the Latin, but I found this interesting. Before the fall, in the Latin, it said that man was posse non peccar, which means... Able not to sin. But they also were posse picar, that is, able to sin. Before the fall, able not to sin, able to sin. After the fall, man became non posse, non picar, that is, not able not to sin. And we're going to see this, but all the way from Adam to Jesus, that was the case. Not able not to sin. Which was a result then of the fall. And when it all broke down in Eden, God called on Israel. And when that all broke down, ultimately, He stepped in Himself. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19 says, God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself. Think about that. He was reconciling because the world needed to be reconciled. Because a break had happened. A break in relationship that needed that restoration. He was not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And in this gender-confused society, that's the message of the church. Understand that, brothers and sisters in Christ, our message to gender-confused teenagers and young adults is God loves you and God wants you to be reconciled to Him. He desires you to be in right relationship with Him. He wants you to know that He made you, male and female, in His image. We struggle with that, don't we, Jim? The, The whole idea that we're supposed to love the sinner and hate the sin, and oftentimes we flip it. We hate the sinner and hate the sin, or we love the sinner and love the sin. When the reality is, no, we love people. And it's not just hating the sin, it's hating what the sin does to those we love. 
which generates in us compassion as ambassadors for Christ in a world to speak the truth in love. And genuine concern, not just to be right, but to see people saved. So God is still calling for those who would bear His image. Will you bear His image as an ambassador for Christ? Will you bear His image to a world that doesn't know what their image really is? But God goes beyond image. He doesn't stop there. He continues in verse 26 saying, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Now, some try to separate out the two words, image and likeness, but there's no and. There's no and between the phrases, so image and likeness are supposed to be taken together. They're synonymous. They're they're painting a picture speaking of the same thing. And likeness deepens the description of image a little more for us to understand the likeness of God. So number one, the image of God, which is how we were created, but now the likeness of God, which is how we are. How we are to be. According to or after the likeness, it's kid, kid mutinu. Just remember, kids. Where is kids? Kid mutinu, which means similar by resemblance. Similar by resemblance. Turn over to Genesis chapter 5. We see the phrase used again. Genesis chapter 5, verse 1, that says, This is the book of the generations of Adam, or Adam. In the day when God created man, He made him in the likeness of God. Kid Mutanu. He created them male and female. He blessed them and named them man, Adam, in the day when they were created. So male and female in the likeness of God. Note that, ladies, that's, that's good news, actually, because it's not men were created in the likeness of God and women were created in the likeness of men. Because if women were created in the likeness of men, you'd be ugly. <laughs> Sorry. We were created in the likeness of God, male and female. And it's interesting, though, look at verse 3. When Adam had lived 130 years, he became the father of a son in his own likeness according to his image and named him Seth. And that's key. How was Seth in the likeness and image of Adam? That gives us some information here, like father, like son. Years ago, I know I shared this, we were at a a restaurant. It was called the Fiddler's Three in El Toro, California, after church on a Sunday. And I was there with my parents and mom and dad and just me. It was just the three of us. And my brother was off at college at the time. We were sitting there having dinner. And a couple of elderly ladies came walking up to our table and just said, We just have to say how much you look like your son and how much you look like your father. And I looked at my dad and I went, Boy. Now I apologize to my dad that he has to look like me. That's kind of how it works. Like father, like son, the resemblance is obvious. And if you've seen or see my dad, or if you see pictures of the two of us, you know father and son, especially since I lost my wig. Like father, like son, in the likeness of God. 
John puts it this way, John chapter 1, verse 12, but as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in His name, who are not born, or who are born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of the will of God. Children of God. Why? Because we resemble our Father. Of course, John's talking about being born again. So he's not talking about our creation. You know what that means? It means just being created in the image and likeness of God does not automatically make you a child of God. The world is not filled with God's children. God's children are in the world. But not all humanity are at this point made up or or called God's children. God's children are those who have been born again. I'll explain more of that in just a moment. Why is that important? But we take after Him. Even before born-againness, even before a person gives their life to Jesus, you take after God. Many people don't realize that. Don't even understand. Like father, like son, like father, like daughter, you take after your Creator. We are in His likeness, according to His likeness. And this is when it gets really intriguing for me. If you stop and you think about what does this created image and likeness immediately follow on the same day? What do you mean? Back in chapter 1. On the sixth day, what had just happened that precedes us being made in the image and the likeness of God? If you look at verse 25, God made the beasts of the earth after their kind. And the cattle after their kind. And everything that creeps on the ground after its kind. And God saw that it was good. And then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. See, now God creates man, not after the kind of cattle, not after the kind of beasts, not after the kind of creeping things. So again, animals are not our pattern. We're above that. And by the way, that's just the root of another social identity crisis that we see, especially here in the Northwest, kind of a big deal. Everybody has their spirit animal. Have you heard this one? And out of evolutionary theory, evolutionary theory says we came from animals. We're patterned after animals. That is from the goo to the zoo to you. <laughs> I respond, no, the Bible says it's from the Trinity to you and me. We were made after His likeness, not after the kingdom of animals. But there's that Native American mysticism, and that's where it comes from. It draws back to this whole idea of spirit animals. And we've got young people all over the place going, oh, I've got a, I, my spirit animal is a bear. My spirit animal is an otter. That's so cute. No, it's not. It's dangerous. It's a mysticism that is not only unbiblical, not only pagan, it is absolutely ungodly. How do you think the Holy Spirit feels when someone says, my spirit animal is a bear? I would rather take after a bear than the Spirit of God. See what I mean by ungodly? It denies God. You know... Bear, wolf, eagle. I have never heard someone say their spirit animal is a warthog. My spirit animal is a sloth. My spirit animal is a blobfish. I take after the spirit of the living God. I'm made in His likeness. 
Not, again, after the kind of cattle or beasts or creepies. No, we're created according to His likeness. Or you might say, after the kind of the divine. Now, don't misunderstand that. It doesn't mean that we're going to grow up to be little gods. It doesn't mean that we're each going to have our own solar system or planet to rule over as little mini-gods. Having grown into that, Oprah's completely out to lunch on that one. No, the Bible says, 1 Timothy 1.17, Now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. But, note this, according to His likeness, some things to note if you're taking notes, we were created triune. We were created triune. He is triune, and so are we. We take that, we resemble that. He is Father, Son, and Spirit. In the same way, every human being is created soul, body, and spirit. That's our makeup. Where do you get that? First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. Now may the God of peace Himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit and your soul and your body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we know that when the rapture of the church happens, we will be caught up Spirit, soul, and body. All that we are will be glorified, immortalized at that time. We're created triune. Secondly, according to His likeness, and I really like this one, we were created eternal. Like our Father, like our God who made us, we are eternal. Again, not made to be little gods, but we were made to be forever. To live forever. And how do you want to spend that? What do you want to do with that? You're an eternal being. Believer or not, you are an eternal being. How do you want to spend that eternity? That is a vital question that the very image of God, the likeness of God in us, forces us to answer. Jesus said, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. John 3.16 Jesus said, John 5.24 Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears My word and believes Him who has sent Me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death and into life. And we've recently talked about that eternality. The eternal life that Jesus talks about is eternal life with Him, but there's also eternal death. Which would you choose? You who are made after the likeness of God, and that is all people are triune. All people are eternal. And so Jude writes in verse 21, Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. And remember the kingdom age we talked about recently that's coming? That thousand year kingdom of Christ on earth? Remember the new heaven, new earth, new Jerusalem? Hey, we were made for that future. We were made to be eternal and God's got wonderful, amazing, remarkable, eternal things out ahead of us better than this life. As I said in our Revelation study, this life is training for that. This life is simply preparation. It's boot camp. This is not the end game. That is the end game. We're eternal. We're made to be with Jesus forever. 
And it's going to be marvelous. It's wonderful. And as eternal beings, we have a choice to make. Do we choose Him or do we reject Him? We're triune in His likeness. We're eternal in His likeness. But there's a third thing here. And think about this. Maybe the most obvious. Jesus was speaking with a woman at the well of Sakar. John chapter 4, verse 23, He said, An hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be His worshipers. God is... What? Say it out. God is... Spirit. Now say it out. God is... Very good. You're not sure. You know that God is spirit. Do we understand that? Jesus made a profound statement there. God is spirit. That's what He is. Jesus is the spirit made flesh. Which is a remarkable thing. But God is spirit. And those who worship Him must worship in spirit. And in truth, you can't worship Him any other way. You don't worship Him in flesh. That's pagan. The pagans will cut the flesh and they'll bow down to animals and, and idols. And they'll dance around and they'll do foolish flesh satisfying things. You can't worship God that way. God is spirit. And that being the case, according to His likeness, we were created spiritual. This is another massive difference between us and the rest of creation. We're eternal, we're triune, we're spiritual. Because God is spirit. Understand, this spirituality, we were created with the capacity to be spiritual people. Though we don't necessarily choose it. I don't know about you, but for me it's a daily thing. It's a daily thing. Am I going to walk in the spirit today? I love the fact that Galatians chapter 5 ends says, says if we're going to live by the Spirit, let us walk by the Spirit. I love the word walk because I can do that. I can walk by the Spirit. I can go every day making the choice to be a spiritual man, to live by my spirit man, my spiritual nature. I have that choice. I can also be fleshly. Oh, I can be fleshly. Or I can sit in the place of my soul, Mr. Intellect, working it out. Looking for the facts. God says, I want you to be spiritual. If I'm truly to take after the likeness of God, made in His image, then I am called to be like Him, spiritual. This is something I actually have control over. The fact that I'm eternal, I just am. The fact that I'm triune, I just am. But to be spiritual... That I can choose. Now I have the capacity for it. And I am a spiritual being. That's part of that triune nature. But I can choose to live as a spiritual being. Paul makes it clear. Romans chapter 8 verse 5. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. So right out the gate, what do you think about? What do you set your mind on? Are you so wholly focused on flesh issues, on soul issues, that the Spirit is sidelined except for an hour and a half on a Sunday morning? Or do you choose to think spiritually, to walk spiritually, to live spiritually, focused on the Spirit of God, on Jesus Himself? Paul says the mind set on the flesh is death. But the mind set on the Spirit is life and peace. Because the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God. 
For it does not subject itself to the law of God. It's not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. The church at Corinth had an image problem. Big time. They were suffering in the first century an identity crisis. They were saying, I'm of Paul. Or or, I'm of Apollos. I'm of Cephas. You know what was happening at Corinth? Early first century denominationalism. That's exactly what it was. Naming a man and... I'm of the church of Paul. Well, I'm an Apollosite. Well... I'm a Cephasinian. All of the denominations that we have, and if you happen to be involved or go to or attend a denominational church, I'm not saying that that's right. You know, any church that preaches Jesus is fine by me. Any church that teaches the truth of the Word of God. But the names that we have subscribed to over 2,000 years, many of those names, those guys are roll over in their graves. Don't name a church after me. And that's what Paul came along saying. Man, you say you're of Paul? No, 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 no. I'm glad I didn't baptize any of you, he says. Except for a couple guys. But that, that, and you say you're of Apollos? Come on. Cephas? No. No. We are all of Jesus Christ. And we are in the likeness of God. Now, turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 2 for a moment. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We're going to go there and then we're going to go to 1 Corinthians 15 right after that. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We need to delve in, understand this a little more because this idea of being made, created in the image of God, in His likeness, according to His likeness, it's vital that we understand what this really means. To be triune, I, I I can explain that to a degree. Uh, To be eternal, I can accept that. To be spiritual. Man, that's when you really start to look like God. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12. Paul writes, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God. Understand that while we are all created to be spiritual, we are all created with the capacity to be spiritual, you cannot be spiritual without the Holy Spirit. You will not think spiritually unless you do so by the Holy Spirit. Which is why he says, the Spirit who is from God. That's who we have received. Verse 13, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit. Combining, and our Bibles, yours may read, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words, but that's not it. It's combining spiritual with spiritual. Combining spiritual with spiritual, meaning what? Combining that which is of the Spirit with that which is which I have the capacity for. His Spirit in my spirit. His Spirit making me spiritual in the way I think and act and behave and live. Combining spiritual with spiritual. But he says, verse 14, a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. They're foolishness to him. He cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritual appraises all things. Yet he himself is appraised by no one. What does that mean? These things are spiritually appraised. The word appraised is anacrino in the Greek language. And it literally means upward judgment. 
Upward judgment. It's, it's two Greek words put together. Krino is judgment, and then Anna is upward. So you have these two together, and the idea here is that the natural man cannot understand the things of God because they are spiritually upwardly judged. They're appraised. They're, they're judged this way. By the Spirit, in a spiritual way, not downwardly judged or downwardly understand, which is in a fleshly way. And what does it mean in verse 15 then that he who is spiritual appraises all things? That I understand. So the spiritual man appraises upwardly, judges upwardly, judges by the things of God. But then it says, yet he himself is appraised by no one. What does that mean? Gordon B. says, it has been said, the profane person cannot understand holiness. But the holy person can well understand the depths of evil. So we understand upwardly and downwardly. We get both. The question is, what are we going to choose? Are we going to be choose, choose to be upward in our judgment? Spiritual people? Because that's how we were created. In the image of God, to be Spiritual. So will we choose to be upward in our judgment or downward in our appraisal? Verse 16, Paul says, For who has known the mind of the Lord that He will instruct him? Isaiah chapter 40. But we have the mind of Christ. Listen, something amazing happened when you gave your life to Jesus. That spiritual capacity in you is filled with the Holy Spirit of the living God. Suddenly now you can spiritually appraise. Spiritually understand, you can live upwardly in your behavior, in your thinking. Now turn to 1 Corinthians 15. I keep listening for a moment here. So we're triune beings, right? Body, soul, and spirit. But it's this spiritual capacity that makes us more like God or in the likeness of God than anything else. Even our triuneness. Even our eternality, it is our spirituality or our capacity to be spiritual beings that makes us like our Father. This, this is the big one. And someone might say, well then, if that's the case, why must we be born again? And I think you're already getting what I'm hinting at here. John 3, verse 5, Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. God created you with the capacity to be spiritual. And then He said, Come to Me. Be born again. And when you're born again, what happens? He pours His Spirit in. And the spiritual aspect of our triune nature comes alive. I now can upwardly judge. I now can rightly understand. This is so important. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 45. Then Paul says, So also it is written, The first man, Adam, became a living soul. The last Adam, a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural. And then the spiritual. The first man is from the earth. Earthy. The second man, Jesus, is from heaven. As is the earthy, so also are those who are earthy. And as is the heavenly, so also are those who are heavenly. Watch this. Just as we have borne the image of the earthy, we will also bear the image of the heavenly. We'll bear the image. So we were created in the image of God, in His likeness, 
But by faith in Jesus Christ, now I bear that image. Now I live by that likeness. Read a little further because it's just too good not to talk about. Now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. And if you want to go up, you must be spiritual. If you want to be caught up, It is the spirit man, the spirit woman within you that will be caught up. Well, Rick, you said my whole triune nature will be. Yeah, but it's because of your spirituality. It's because of the Holy Spirit present in you that you will be caught up. That's where the connection is. We have this created spiritual capacity, but we need the spirit of Christ given by Christ to see it through. To get us to the end of the road. We need Jesus to take up residence within us if we are to truly know our spiritual likeness, the likeness for which we were created. Now, let me give you something real practical before I move on to the last thing. How are we supposed to live in that likeness right now? What does that spiritual likeness look like in me, in you, practically speaking? And it's very simple. Bible lays it out. Paul says, Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. You know the list. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Why not? Because no law is required where I'm guided by the Spirit. You understand that? There's no law for those who walk in the Spirit because if you're walking in the Spirit, you do what the Spirit wants and the Spirit never violates the law of God. But it's, it's so marvelous, it's so practical. I, I think we've quoted the fruit of the Spirit passage I don't even know how many times here at the bridge. I hope you memorize it because if you want a practical guide to how you are to walk in the Spirit, that's it. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those nine things, the fruit of the Spirit, practice, live by. Pray, is this me? Am I loving? Am I joyful? See, that, that's a thing. You might think of yourself as loving, but a big old grump. And if you're an old grump, you are not walking by the fruit of the Spirit. There's a measure of joy here, my friends. Peace. Are you stressed out all the time, just freaking out in this life, so sick and tired of this world, and you watch the news and it makes you even more upset? Hey, peace. Love, joy, peace. And patience. Patience. Are you patient with those who are lost in the world around you? Are you patient with family members who aren't quite getting what you think they should be getting? Kindness. How are you treating people? And Goodness, faithfulness. Are you are you trustworthy? Gentleness, self control, or are you just out of control? See, this is practical life stuff. If I am to be spiritual, I have the capacity. I was created with the capacity, but then the Spirit fills me when I'm born again, and now this is how I should live by the fruit of the Spirit. This is what you should see. And by the way, Paul said in 2 Corinthians 3.17, the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, is liberty. You're free. True freedom. 
One more thing. That according to His likeness, not only were we created triune, eternal, spiritual, in the image of God, but the last one, we are created rulers. Rulers. And this is fascinating to me. It brings us to the last big implication of image and likeness in our createdness, and that is the dominion of man. Look at verse 26 yet again. Let us make man in our image, God said, according to our likeness. And let them rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, over the cattle, over all the earth, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Let them rule. Verse 28, God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Be fruitful, he says, and rule. Be fruitful, first of all. Said by the rabbis that to have children is the first command of Torah. And yet, what are we seeing in our world right now? European countries are in in trouble. Japan is in trouble. What do you mean? They're facing an existential crisis like never before. Countries that are no longer able to reproduce themselves. Why? The more secular the country, the lower the birth rate. This is, this is just a, a factual statistic. The more secular the country, the more non-religious a country, the lower the birth rate. Right? As people deny God, the birth rate goes down. We're seeing this happen in our world right now. Secular societies just aren't having kids. God said, be fruitful. Be fruitful. See, overpopulation isn't the problem our world faces, but a lack of continuation is a problem for many nations. And we're going to talk about that a bit more when we get to Genesis chapter 9, following the flood. (laughs) Eight people and an entire world to, to repopulate. It was a big deal then. It is still important now. Be fruitful. But, listen, understand this. God gave dominion to mankind. That's part of being created in His image, in His likeness. God is the ruler. God is king over all. Jesus is king of kings. We're made like Him. We are made to have dominion as we are created in His image and likeness. Dennis Prager says wisely, either man will rule over nature or nature will rule over man. And he's absolutely right. He says nature is not sacred I know that's a shock in the Northwest. Nature is not sacred. Human life is sacred. And he says this is in sharp contrast to the pagan worldview. Think about that. The pagan worldview is the worship of nature. Romans 1.25, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And they worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator. Downward worship rather than upward. Fleshly rather than spiritual. Worship of nature does that. It draws us down. Worship of our Creator draws us up. Not only in our worship, but also in our image. You know what? The more you worship the nature, the more you are looking at and focused on nature below, animals underneath, the lower your image of self will become. But the more you're focused on God, wow, 
But the greater my self-image, because it's not my self-image, it's, it's my God image. I, I'm, I'm caught upward. I'm looking upward. And this is how we are to be if we're going to rule rightly. Again, he says, after being fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it and rule over it. Fill, subdue, rule. Fill, subdue, rule. That's how righteousness is to spread in the world. See, that's one of the coolest things about the church. I love this. The church is not a cultural institution. The church is not American. The church is not European or British. The church is not Middle Eastern. The church just is. And we spread out. And you will find followers of Jesus in every culture, of every society, in every nation, on every continent, on planet Earth. Christians, just kind of everywhere. There's great wisdom in that. And there is a call to us. Our spiritual response to being fruitful and multiplying and filling the earth and subduing it is Matthew 28. Go into all the world and make disciples. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And I'm with you to the very end of the age, Jesus said. And so we spread out to rule. Sounds like Rick is talking about Christian domination of the world. I am! <laughs> but not like, the, not like the flesh sees it. See, not like humanity thinks about ruling and dominion. No, our rule and our dominion, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. What other ruler does that? Rather than tweeting this or that or the other. That's not just a slam on the president, by the way. It's a slam on all the other tweeters, too. A bunch of tweets. They're all birds. Why did God need righteousness to spread with Adam and Eve? This is the last place I want to read to you. Why did God need righteousness to spread with Adam and Eve when they were the only two first people? I mean, what's the deal with that? It's just Adam and Eve and animals, you know? Although other humans were created as well. We'll talk about that another time. What's the point of the creation of man and then calling him to fill, subdue, and rule over all the earth? Psalm 8, verse 1. Just listen to this. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth who have displayed your splendor above the heavens from the mouth of infants and nursing babies. You have established strength. Because of your adversaries. To make the enemy and the revengeful cease. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained. What is man that you take thought of him? And the son of man that you care for him. Yet you have made him a little lower than God. Literally a little lower than Elohim. And you crown him with glory and majesty. David is just aghast at this. You make him to rule over the works of your hands. You put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, also the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes through the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. What's the point? What do you mean he made us to rule? Does that mean dominate? No. No. It's not about the domination of the animal kingdom. It's much bigger than that. David tells us why we're made to rule and to reign. Watch this. 
Verse 2 again, from the mouth of infants and nursing babes, you have established strength. Literally, you have established a bulwark because of your adversaries. What does that mean? God created Adam and Eve. God created man in His image, in His likeness, to be triune, to be eternal, to be spiritual, and to rule against the enemies of God, which would include Satan and the demonic realm. The dominion that we're called to, not the domination, the dominion. Dominion and authority were given to us at creation to rule, to fill the earth, and to subdue it first and foremost in righteousness. Spiritually, I hope you're getting this. This is one of those teachings where in my head I'm I'm all over the... I know what I'm thinking. Am I getting it to you? We are called to rule in righteousness. Which means by the Spirit. Spiritually. Not by force, not by ambition, not by the sweat of Adam's brow, but by the Holy Spirit. The way this plays out is that, man, where the natural man rules, domination. Where the spiritual man rules, there's righteous dominion. By the Holy Spirit. In the image and the likeness of God. Practically, Practically, right here and now, for you and me, that's how we live and fulfill the command in the image and likeness of God to have dominion over the earth. What do you mean? I mean at the workplace. I mean at school. I mean at home, in your families, our marriages, our relationships. I don't have domination over my wife, but there is a degree of rule. Stay with me. There is a degree of rule over my wife in terms of spiritual rule. The Bible says man is the head of wife is Christ is the head of the church, right? What is that? It's headship by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. That's how I maintain righteousness in my marriage. Guess what? That's her responsibility to me as well. And what I'm saying here is, is to live this way, to live, this is the kind of dominion we've been called to. Spiritual dominion. In our relationships, in our friendships, with those we love, with the non-believer. Oh, you've got gender identity issues. Well, I can tell you what a sick sinner you are. That's domination. And it's not godly. I understand that you are struggling with understanding who you are. I know that's got to be hard for you. Can, can, we, can we just talk about the fact that you were made in the image of God? In the likeness of God? You were made higher than you are, not lower than you are. You were not even made on an equal plane with who you are. You were made from His image. And He loves you. And He wants you to be either male or female because in that in your maleness, in your femaleness, in the image of God. You're a beloved son, a beloved daughter. See, that's, that's dominion. That's ruling in righteousness. It's speaking the truth, but it's speaking the truth in love. And it's something that as followers of Jesus, we've got to understand. Not natural domination, but spiritual dominion. And it all comes down to, or up to, really, 
the image and the likeness we bear. We were created in the image and likeness of God to be triune, eternal, spiritual, and ultimately to rule with divine authority. Romans 8.29 says, For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son, so that He would be a firstborn among many brethren. And these whom He predestined, He also called. And these whom He called, He also justified. And these whom He justified, He also glorified. And where this all lands, where this all comes home, is that glorification. Listen closely. When I accept that I am created in the image of God and after His likeness, and then I am born again, conformed to the image of His Son, I'm going to be glorified. And that glorification is going to be realized in its totality when Jesus comes and reclaims His rightful dominion in the coming kingdom. The authority we've been given to rule over the earth, fill it, and subdue it right now is preparation for the coming kingdom when we will rule and reign with Him, when we will finally and fully understand our true selves, our true identity. Not just or only who we were created after, but what we were created for. This is so huge because this means that the trash collector was not created to be a trash collector. And if that happens to be you, that's no shame. Any kind of work is honorable. The store clerk was not created to be a store clerk. The pastor was not created to be a pastor. We were created to rule. Not with domination, but with spiritual dominion. And we will fully understand that and wear it and walk in it, that great glorious identity in the coming kingdom. Revelation 1.6 He has made us to be a kingdom. Priests to His God and Father. To Him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Agassiz was right. Image is everything. But what do you do when the wig comes off? <laughs> Verse 31 of Genesis 1. We'll round it out here. God saw all that He had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. And everything was right. Oh, God looked at it all. It was so good. Very good. The planet is created. The planet is poised for greatness. And it all went wrong. When did it go wrong? It all went wrong when man used his will willfully. When she used her intellect foolishly. You see, Eve, as we're going to see in a soon study, maybe next Sunday, Eve wanted to be like God. There's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with wanting to be godly. The problem was she did it by feeding her flesh. I want to be like God. I'm going to take the fleshly route to get there. By the way, Adam dove right in with her. But we are created to be in His image and likeness. And there's only one way to fulfill that, and it's not by the flesh. The only way to fulfill that, Paul writes, he tells us, Colossians 3 verse 9, Do not lie to one another, since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. 
A renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, and free man, but Christ is all and in all. And he says in 2 Corinthians 3.18, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. That's what we were made for. In His image. In His likeness. Triune, eternal, spiritual. That we might rule and reign with Him.